I want to start with a passage from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again. Rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then the God of peace will be with you. Heavenly Father, we ask for the light and grace of your Holy Spirit to be stirred up in our hearts, to make us ever more receptive to your infinite love, which you communicate to us in the gift of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Jesus, breathe on us that we may receive the gift of your Holy Spirit and more readily recognize your presence with us in all the ordinary circumstances of our lives and rest and find our strength in your unfailing and healing love. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well, I love this passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians because it gives us such a practical strategy, you know? When I'm not at peace, when I am filled with anxiety or some other unpeaceful experience, this is concrete advice about what to do in all things, to make my petition known to God with thanksgiving and to choose to think on whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Then the God of peace will be with you and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's tremendous. And it has a great uh, application in our topic for tonight. What in the world, when God seems far away, when I'm in the experience of spiritual de desolation, what can I do? Because often I will feel very helpless in the midst of that experience. So, to begin, we want to define carefully what spiritual desolation is. Okay? Well, it begs the question. In Ignatian terminology from St. Ignatius, when he talks about the discernment of spirits, what is he talking about when he talks about the spirits? And this is what he, in summary, the spirits are experienced as thoughts, feelings, and desires which directly impact my relationship with God and carrying out his will. So if we stop at any moment and start paying attention to what's going on inside, we'll find three kinds of things going on. Thoughts, feelings, and desires. All right? It's a simple way to sum up the interior life. And those thoughts, feelings, and desires are either connected to my present experience, my present awareness, or to a remembered experience. They are connected to my memories living in my heart. Okay? Real simple. Well, out of, if we start paying attention to what's going on in our heart at any given time, we know that these thoughts, feelings, and desires are all over the place, right? I can be like, hmm, God so loved the world that he gave his son for me. Jesus died on the cross for me. I want a cookie, you know, like, <laughs> all over the place, from the sublime to the ridiculous, back and forth a million times, <coughs> without even noticing. And in fact, to grow in intimacy with God and to grow in discernment, right, how to receive more of the love of God and more effectively to resist the attacks of the enemy. 
it begins by becoming more and more aware of what's going on in me as a first step. And that's daunting when we first start to do it because we do, we find all sorts of things going on, a cacophony of thoughts and feelings and desires that, you know, non sequiturs and they're all over the place and they're up and they're down and blah, okay. So in terms of discernment, the discernment of spirits, out of all those thoughts, feelings, and desires, we want to notice particularly thoughts, feelings, and desires that impact our relationship with God directly and carrying out his will. To expand on that, impacting directly on my relationship with God, we can think of the gifts of faith, hope, and love that we received at baptism. These are relational gifts. They give us the capacity to enter into real personal relationship with God. And so I offered a little simple summary of those gifts. <coughs> Ways of thinking about them, just to hang our hats on for the rest of our discussion tonight. The gift of faith. This is a capacity, a power, an ability to know God and to know that what God says is true. Right. To know God. I know God. I know the Father. I know Jesus, the Son. I know the Holy Spirit. That capacity comes from the gift of faith. And to know that what God is, says is true. So when God says in the prophet Jeremiah, I know well the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for woe, plans for a future full of hope. When I hear those words, I trust those words. That's a gift of faith, to know that when God speaks, what God says is true. Okay. The gift of hope is a capacity also. A capacity to desire God as my greatest good. Of all the good and beautiful things that there are in the world, I desire God as my greatest good. And I learn, I, it's the capacity to trust in his strength and not my own. To desire God as my greatest good and to trust in his strength and not my own. And the gift of love. Love, as it turns out, responds to goodness, truth, and beauty. And the gift of love we receive at baptism is the capacity to more readily recognize the goodness, truth, and beauty of God and then to respond to that goodness, truth, and beauty with a sincere gift of myself to respond to his goodness, truth, and beauty by giving myself to God because God has first given himself to me, okay? So, when I have thoughts, feelings, and desires that impinge on knowing God or knowing that what he says is true, on desiring God and trusting in his strength and not my own, and recognizing the goodness, truth, and beauty of God and entrusting myself to him, those thoughts, feelings, and desires are the spirits of discernment of spirits. And there's three spirits at work. There's the Holy Spirit, there's the evil spirit, and my own human spirit. Okay? So, those spiritual movements can either help me in my relationship with God and doing his will, or they can hinder me. They can draw me closer to God, make me more ready and equipped to do his will, or they can lead me away from God and put obstacles into do, uh, obstacles place obstacles in carrying out his will. Okay? The thoughts, feelings, and desires that help me strengthen my faith, hope, and love, draw me to God, make it easier for me to do his will, we call those thoughts, feelings, and desires spiritual consolation. The ones that are hindering make it more difficult to know God, to know that what he says is true, to desire God, to trust his strength, to recognize his goodness, truth, and beauty, and respond to him with the gift of myself. Those are spiritual desolations. Okay. okay. And we'll say more about that in just a second. In St. Ignatius' rules for the discernment of spirits, the first two rules distinguish two kinds of people. And this is a critical distinction in order to benefit from the wisdom that is contained in the rules for discernment of spirits. And he talks about the first kind of person who is going from bad to worse, from mortal sin to mortal sin, um, basically running full speed away from God. Okay? And he says in that kind of a person, 
the evil spirit, the enemy, acts to bring peace, acts to bring confidence and assurance and a sense of well-being, okay? Because you're running off the cliff and Satan's cheering you on, like, yes, run faster. You can fly, go, you know? The Holy Spirit and a person who's going from bad to worse pricks and bites the conscience of the person, stirs up agitation and discontentment, keeps you up at night, makes you toss and turn. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit so that I stop and say, why am I so agitated? And I realize the ruin that is unfolding in my life and I turn around and do something different, you know? So someone you love is about to run off a cliff, you're going to do anything to arrest their attention, you know? Well, shoot them in the leg, if that's what it takes to get, them, get their attention, all right? Because that's the loving thing to do so they don't jump off the cliff. Okay, so the rest of the rules that we're going to be talking about tonight presume a different kind of person, a person who is, in St. Ignatius' terms, going on intensely cleansing themselves of their sins, striving to grow from good to better in the service and praise of God our Lord. Okay? So someone who is desiring to grow in relationship with God and is making use of the means that God gives us to grow in relationship with him. So as Catholics, it's a person who is going to Mass every Sunday and on holy days for sure, just as minimums, frequently receiving the Sacrament of Reconciliation, desiring and making time, making decisions to take time in personal prayer, growing and understanding the faith, coming to things like the Feast of Faith, you know, all those kinds of things. Someone who's desiring to grow in relationship with God. Doesn't mean that we're free from sin by any means. Doesn't mean we're not without our faults and failings and our backtrackings, but the desire and orientation of the heart is towards God and desiring from, to go from good to better in the service and love of God, okay? And that is critical for, if you take any of the rest of the rules for discernment, they presume that kind of a person, okay? So, we can come in number three there then to the description of spiritual desolation. This is what desolation looks like in the heart of a person who is pursuing a greater relationship with God. It says, in such a person, the one going from good to better, it is the way of the evil spirit to bite, to sadden, to put obstacles, disquieting with false reasons, lies, that one may not go on not go on in what? In going from good to better in their relationship with God. And it is proper to the good spirit to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, and quiet, easing and putting away all obstacles that one may go on in well-doing. Okay. So you see the characteristic activities of the spirits in a person desiring to grow in relationship with God. The evil spirit brings desolations. Obstacles, disquiet, biting, saddening, lies, discouragement. It's proper to the good spirit to console us, to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, and quiet rest, easing and putting away all obstacles. Okay? This is very important. We can bank our lives on the truth that God always labors to console us. Always. God never makes us desolate. So let that sink in. God always labors to console us. God never makes us desolate. So if God is leading me in my life, he is going to lead me by consolation, spiritual consolation. Okay, so spiritual desolation, a, a further descriptive definition from St. Ignatius. He says, I call desolation, spiritual desolation, all the contrary of consolation, such as darkness of soul, disturbance in it, movement to things low and earthly, right? My life revolves around chips and beer and the, the game on Sunday. That's movement to things low and earthly. Uh, the unquiet of different agitations and temptations. You ever find yourself when you're normally like, you know, everyone's annoying in their own way, right? I'm annoying, you're annoying. We're all annoying in our own ways, right? 
and we're surrounded by annoying people. So that's the way of the world. But most of the time, many times, I just, I don't even notice it, right? But all of a sudden, like, every little thing's getting under your skin, you know? I'm just agitated and like, just like, it's just all day long, it's like fingers on the chalkboard, stop it. All you people, go away. Okay, this is not autobiographical. <laughs> okay, it's a little autobiographical. <laughs> That's different agitations. It's a fruit of spiritual desolation. Okay, different agitations and temptations, moving to a lack of confidence, being without hope, without love, like no desire for God, no desire for the things of God. I'm just depending on myself. I got to do it. I'm all alone. It's me, 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 me. Without love, I don't see any goodness, truth, and beauty around me. It's all gray, right? When one finds oneself all lazy, tepid, and sad, and as if separated from his creator and Lord. And the thoughts that come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts which come from desolation. Okay? So, that's a great descriptive definition of desolation. Let's think of those two terms again, just in our common understanding of the words, right? Consolation, light, assurance, freedom, peace, ease, strength, encouragement, uh, security. Those are all words of consolation. Desolating words, darkness, confusion, doubt, bitterness, resentment, fear, insecurity, uh, despair, feeling stuck, feeling bored, boredom, um, things like that, okay? And what I want to say, I'm jumping ahead of myself, skipping down to D is, there is a difference between spiritual consolation and desolation and non-spiritual consolation and desolation, right? And we don't have time to get into it in great detail tonight, but just bank yourself on that definition I gave up above. Spiritual consolation and desolation are thoughts, feelings, and desires, but that are impacting directly on my relationship with God and carrying out his will. Okay. So I can be spiritually consoled and non-spiritually desolate. Think about the experience of grief, right? I lose someone, my brother-in-law dies my first year in Rome after being married to my sister for five years. Okay. Complications from an asthma attack. There is a crushing grief, sense of loss. I love him. You know? He was so good for my sister. They were so good together. And it's so devastating to see my sister's pain, you know? All of that is deeply desolate. But it's not impacting directly my relationship with God or carrying out his will. You can hear how could, there could be an easy, short jump from that kind of sadness, that crushing grief, to anger at God. God, I don't believe you when you say that you love me. I don't believe you that you have for my sister a future full of hope. Why would you allow such a horrible thing to happen? Right? And those kinds of thoughts and feelings would be spiritual desolations. But as I received the news of my brother-in-law's death back in 1996, there's that crushing grief, but underneath that is a confidence in God. Every time I'm relating that sadness to Jesus, I hear Jesus say, as we hear in the book of Revelations, I have overcome the world. Be not afraid. I have overcome the world. And in that is a rest. There's a peace. There's an assurance. And it doesn't do away with the grief, but it really transforms the experience of grief kind of from the inside out. Okay? That's just a real example of non-spiritual desolation, but spiritual consolation, okay? Similarly, I can be spiritually desolate and non-spiritually consoled. Everything's turning up roses. I'm at the peak of my career. I just became the CEO. I got the federal government bailout. Even the company goes bankrupt. I got the $50 million severance package. We are set, you know? Everything I always wanted. Anything at my command. And as it turns out, my wife and my family, they all support me and love me and we're not all messed up, okay? So life is good. But I'm sitting there at night, flip-flopping at bed, wondering, this little voice, is that all there is? 
seems a little empty. And I can hyper-spiritualize that and say, oh, well, God has blessed me so much in my life. I mean, he gives me the supportive family and he's allowed me to achieve the success and God, God is so good. But underneath, there's that gnawing emptiness. Oh, is this all there is? Was it really worth it? I never saw my kids grow up. What have I done? Am I all alone? And that can be an indication of a spiritual desolation that is really covered over by all sorts of naturally consoling things. Life's turning up roses, but when it comes to a relationship with God, I don't know who God is. In the goodness, truth, and beauty that's all around me, my beautiful art, my beautiful home, I, I don't see the beauty of the Creator. I'm just stuck with the beauty that this world offers. So there's no relationship with God there. It's empty, it's dead, and it's spiritually desolate. Okay. Oh, we never have enough time. <laughs> So, what is spiritual desolation? I want to give you two descriptive definitions. Those are all the vocabulary that goes around it, but maybe two images to help our understanding. The first is, um, if any of you are glider pilots. Can I see a show of glider pilots? Are you glider pilots? Ah, darn. One of these days, I'll bump into one. Well, you know how gliders go. Or if you see those eagles or a, these big hawks we have around here just soaring, you know? And they're not flapping at all, they're just, their wings are out, and they're just effortlessly rising. Okay? Well, they're rising on a, a column of warm air called a thermal, right? And as long as they stay in that thermal, they will effortlessly go higher and higher and higher. Okay? Excuse me. Effortlessly, soaring. It's beautiful to behold. When we are consoled, we are in the love of God, and we know it, right? Uh, I, I'm having a tangible experience of the love of God. That's spiritual consolation. When I'm in desolation, I feel as though the love of God has gone away. God, where have you gone? I feel as though sep I am separated from my Creator and Lord. But in truth, I am not separated. What's happened is, my spiritual gyroscope is all messed up. I have spiritual vertigo, okay? And that, you know, that's like a danger for pilots. That's why pilots have to learn how to fly by the instruments. Because if they're in a foggy area without a lot of visual cues, sensible cues, their ear may make, may make them think left is right and up is down. And if they fly their plane by the seat of the pants, that's where that phrase, flying by the seat of your pants, comes from, they're going to crash and burn. But that's why you have to learn how to fly by your instruments and trust the instruments. Because they're telling me the truth even though subjectively I'm all confused. Okay? And they'll tell me if I'm really going up or down or left or right. So for a person in spiritual desolation, they're still immersed in the love of God. The love of God hasn't gone anywhere. It's just that the person cannot notice it their spiritual inner ears playing tricks on them. And they feel far from God when they're not far from God at all. Okay? And it's imperative, it's the purpose of the presentation tonight, that we learn how to fly by the instruments in that kind of spiritual condition. And the rules for discernment, rules 5 through 9, give specific strategies of how to resist the experience of spiritual desolation. And if I trust those rules, it's like flying by the instruments. I will avoid any spiritual crashing and burning, for sure. And in fact, I will continue to grow and be strengthened spiritually, even in the midst of the trial of desolation. Okay? So that's one image. Desolation is not a matter of leaving the love of God and so declining. I'm still in the love of God, because that's what happens when we sin, right? I'm still in the love of God, I haven't rejected anything of God's love, but my senses are all messed up. Okay? Okay. So I need to fly by my instruments. Another image. Spiritual desolation <laughs> reveals a need to become attuned to divine love in my heart. So think of this. Your heart is like the Grand Canyon, you know, especially echoey part of the Grand Canyon. And when you call out into a good canyon, what do you want to hear, right? If I say, hello, I want to hear back. Hello, right? That's the way the canyon's supposed to work. 
And our hearts are made to reflect or to resound with the love of God. So when God cries out into our hearts as he does it every moment, I love you, what he wants to hear back is, I'm your beloved, right? That's the properly tuned heart. I love you, I'm your beloved. But a lot of times God will say, I love you. And he'll hear back, I'm so busy. I love you. But look what I did when I was back in college. I love you. Let me just get this figured out first and I'll get back to you. Right? All these things. I love you. No, I'm a burden on people. There's parts in our hearts that are not receptive to the love of God because they've been wounded or distorted through judgments and attitudes and all sorts of other things. Okay? And if you can imagine, like the Trinity, wandering around through the beautiful expanse of your heart, poking into every nook and cranny, saying, I love you, and waiting to hear back, I'm your beloved. And there's a lot of ways that we can receive that. We're okay. We'll allow God to love us up to a point. And then God comes around another corner and he says, I love you. And he hears back, yeah, but I'm blowing it as a parent. And Jesus and the Father look at each other, do you hear that? Well, let's try that again. No, I love you. No, my family's a wreck. And so imagine the Trinity taking their love and focusing all the intensity of their love on that one spot that isn't echoing properly. What's that going to feel like to me? If God is focusing all his love on the one spot that doesn't register it, I'm going to wonder, where has God gone? I'm going to feel separated from God. But what's really happening is God is laboring to bring a healing and a transformation to that part of my heart. And whatever made my heart that way, and at the end, it's always going to be some painful experience in our life, some woundedness in our life, self-inflicted or inflicted on us by others. And he's laboring to bring that healing And that's the gift for which God permits the trial of desolation. God never makes us desolate, but he permits the trial of desolation for a greater good, namely our healing and increasing our capacity to receive more of his love. So I want to, if I say nothing else tonight that you remember, please remember this. I better say this right. Here's the setup. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Through the trial of desolation, God is always laboring to increase our capacity to receive more of his love. I can bank my life on it. And if I will do what, through the wisdom of the church, God invites us to do, to use these grace-filled means of resisting desolation, the only thing, I will, ever, I will never be hurt spiritually. I will never decline. I'll never lose altitude. I'll never crash and burn. The only thing that will ever happen is that my ability to soar, my ability to resound, to receive and reflect the love of God will be increased. Okay. Some important truths about desolation by way of transition. Spiritual desolation is not simply a matter of it being my fault. I've goofed up, now I'm desolate. For sure, when we sin, every sin that's ever committed is nothing else than a pulling away from the love of God. So if there is sin in my life, like a pattern of serious sin, that may explain why I feel distant from God, because in fact I'm distancing myself from God. But the experience of spiritual desolation is not rooted in sin. It is a natural ebb and flow of the spiritual life. It is a spontaneous thought, feeling, and desire in my heart that leads me away from God if I follow it and makes it more difficult to do his will (coughs) if I listen to it. (laughs) 
So it's not like a carrot and stick method. Like when I do everything right, God pats me on the head and he gives me a, a lollipop and says, here, this is spiritual consolation. And when I goof up, God like gives me a swift kick and says, here, you're desolate. Okay. So it's very tempting to think when I'm in spiritual desolation, I just need to fix something in my life and then the love of God will return. I'll feel the love of God again. And that is not true. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Because I'll spend all this energy trying to figure out and fix myself, and that will just compound my misery and make me even more discouraged in growing in relationship with God. So, spiritual desolation is not merely my fault, and I am not capable of fixing it. I have to learn how to turn to God and receive his help in the midst of this attack or trial of spiritual desolation, which the enemy brings. Okay. As I mentioned earlier, often non-spiritual things are a springboard for specifically spiritual movements. That's true of consolation and desolation. I see a beautiful sunset. My heart and mind are raised to a consideration of the beauty of the Creator with gratitude. That's spiritual consolation that jumps off from a natural consolation. Or, my boss is a jerk and everything's going to pieces in my life and I feel as though God has turned his back on me. Right? Naturally difficult situations, frustrating, aggravating, discouraging, and all of a sudden that starts impacting my relationship with God and carrying out his will. Both desolation and consolation will vary in their length and intensity. So how persistent this thought, feeling, or desire is, how intense it is, varies. Okay? It may last a few moments, like in prayer, or after Mass, or during Mass. You, know, you come back from communion, and the peace and the love of God flood your heart. And that might last for 30 seconds. It's a beautiful consolation. Other consolations or desolations might last for days on end, or weeks, or months, even. What we know is that consolation will always be followed by desolation, and desolation will always be followed by consolation again. How long, how intense that experience of consolation or desolation in is, varies. But in consolation, we're called to receive the tangible love of God, and that if we do that consistently, the consolation will be as long and as deep as possible. In desolation, we're called to resist the thought, feeling, or desire that is desolating. And if we do so, that desolation will be as short and as shallow as possible. Okay. God never makes me desolate. Desolation is always to be resisted. I'm never to say, oh, this is just how God is leading me in my life. That's not true. It's not just, oh, it's just something I deserve. That's not true. Oh, I just better put up with it and do the best I can and trudge up. That's not true. When I experience spiritual desolation, I am called to a specific pattern of activity which is resisting that desolation. Okay. Which brings us to our proper topic. How do I resist desolation? <clears throat> number one, which is actually number zero because it's the foundation, never to make a change. St. Ignatius is very clear. In a time of spiritual desolation, never to make a change. A change about my spiritual resolutions. Change about decisions I've made that impact my relationship with God and carrying out his will. Right? Carrying out his will. Many of you are in your vocation in life. You're married, I'm a priest, you're a consecrated person. Okay? Um, when the love of God seems very, very far away, spiritual desolation, and everything else is going to pot also, natural desolation. You know, married people get in their cars and they think about never coming back, right? This is a good point at which we must say, in a time of spiritual desolation, never to make a change. You've made a spiritual resolution. It's called the vows of your marriage. In a time of desolation, it is not the time to reconsider that choice, all right? Take a less profound example. Um, uh, I, I'm, I've I'm in the habit of taking an hour of personal prayer every day. Okay? I get into that hour of prayer. I'm all excited. There's a gospel that, from last Sunday that touched my heart, <clears throat> and I'm eager to return to it and see what more unfolds. 
I go to my hour of prayer, I sit down with that scripture passage, and it's like dust. It's like reading the phone book, you know? Nothing's happening. And I'm like, what happened? This was so great on Sunday, I was all fired up about it. What's going on today? Ugh. But I keep at it, and, you know, I'm little reflections, but nothing's really moving my heart, and it's just dry, boring. But I keep at it for like 45 minutes, and I look at my watch, and like three minutes have gone by. Oh, jeez. Right? You've been there if you've prayed. Well, my resolution is to pray for an hour a day. So I might think after those three minutes that seem like an eternity, where I'm all distracted about that pile of stuff I could be getting to on my desk if I wasn't sitting here torturing myself, uh, oh, I should just go do my work. Mm -mm. In a time of spiritual desolation, never to make a change regarding my spiritual resolutions. So not only am I going to pray for the full hour, as we'll see in a moment, I'm going to pray for a full hour plus a minute. Okay. So never to make a change about our spiritual resolutions. I do a lot of work down at Broomtree, our retreat center. We should send out a disclaimer to everyone who signs up for retreat. Because what always happens is that in the days leading up to retreat, the world falls apart for people, and they think, oh, I shouldn't go. You know? I mean, I haven't been praying for the last two weeks because I've been so busy trying to get ready to go on this retreat for four days. And uh, No, I'm not going to. Nope. Recognize that as spiritual desolation. I don't want to go to the retreat. That's impacting my relationship with God, carrying out his will. And resist it. Never to make a spiritual, never to make a change in the resolution that I made when I was consoled. Okay. Prayer. <clears throat> in the six rules of the rules for discernment of spirit, St. Ignatius gives us four means. Prayer, meditation, much examination, and some suitable way of doing penance. And these need brief descriptions prayer. This is a prayer of petition. God, I'm desolate. Help. Okay? And this resists desolation because a temptation that comes with desolation is that, oh, I need to, I need to figure something out and fix it. But we don't have that power over desolation. Desolation is not within my power to fix. God gives me the grace to resist it, but I can't fix it, certainly not on my own. Only God can deliver me from the trial of desolation. So the first thing I want to do in desolation is to ask for his help. Prayer meaning a prayer of petition, God help. Okay? Meditation. This is uh, to think back on things in our life when we remember feeling close to God, when God didn't seem far away. Maybe it's a favorite scripture passage. Maybe it's an experience you had on retreat. Um, maybe it's just something that happened on your ride home from work the other day where you really became aware of the presence and the power and the love of God for you. You want to revisit that scripture passage or what was going on in that retreat or looking at that beautiful sunset, thinking of the beauty of the creator. To revisit those remembered experiences of spiritual consolation. Why does this resist desolation? Because desolation is greedy. The feeling that accompanies desolation, not only do I feel in the present moment all lazy, tepid, and sad, and as if separated from my Creator and Lord, but the voice of desolation claims authority over the past and the future. So over the past, it says, oh, when you thought you were close to God, you just made that up. How could you be this far from God if you were ever that close to God? You were kidding yourself. I mean, look at you. And here come all the accusations, okay? So to think back, to choose to think, oh, no, I remember this spiritual consolation. I may not feel it in the present moment, but just thinking back on those experiences resists the greed of desolation. That's what St. Paul is talking about when he says, hey, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's St. Paul's way of saying what St. Ignatius says, in this encouragement, this um, directive to enter into meditation in the midst of the experience of spiritual desolation. Thinking back on a time when I was consoled. Okay. Much examination. This is to ask the Holy Spirit to show me what was happening in my life, at what point were we in my life, when I moved from consolation to desolation. There's a concrete transition. And we may not notice it. 
I might not notice that I've moved into desolation for days, maybe, if I'm not paying much attention. But there was a time when I was consoled, and now I'm not. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to show me what was happening in my life when that transition took place. Because desolation is an opportunistic infection. It likes to fester in wounds. And very often when we move from consolation to desolation, it's because something has just ripped open a wound in our heart. And here comes the desolation, right? So, one of the big lies in my life is that I feel like I'm a burden to people, that I'm a bother to people, okay? I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a bother. I'm terrified of it from my mother's womb. And so, what can happen? I've been aware of that. I've received some healing around that, but it's still a vulnerability. I come out of Mass after asking people to volunteer at my Newman Center to be lectors and Eucharistic ministers and greeters and such, right? And I hear someone making a little comment as they go down on the wall, like, God, what does he think? Like, we have nothing else to do? I mean, come on. Right? And I was consoled before that, and all of a sudden I'm in desolation, right? Well, I might notice it on the spot because it's so obvious to me, but things like that can happen. I wasn't in that awareness. Someone could say something like that, and what does it do? Unnoticed, it rips open a woundedness in my heart, and boom, comes in the desolation. A whole nest of thoughts, feelings, and desires that are leading me away from God and making it more difficult to carry out his will. Okay? So, in this much examination, asking the Holy Spirit to show me what was going on in my life when the transition happened. I may not have noticed it at the time, but as I asked the light of the Holy Spirit, I remember hearing that comment. And so I recognize what wound is being seized upon as the opportunity for desolation. And that's a great gift in a way of resisting desolation because we can ask the healing love of God into that wound. If we start paying attention and doing this, this much examination, we will notice patterns of things that routinely will launch us off into desolation, pull us away from God's love and consolation, and obscure the love of God for us, right? Pull the, disorient us, pull the hood over our eyes so we can't see the love of God for us. Some suitable way of doing penance. <clears throat> this is where you take out that little handheld whip of cords, and you just start beating yourself. You know, that's, no, that's not what he's doing. <laughs> I wish I had a photograph that I was like, Some suitable way of doing penance. What is this? This is, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, this is um, noticing that the thought, feeling, or desire that impacts my relationship with God and carrying out his will in a hurtful way, right? Making it, leading me away from God, making it more difficult to do as well. That this thought, feeling, or desire that is the spiritual desolation has a momentum. It tries to push me in a certain direction. And some suitable way of doing penance is a grace-filled step in the opposite direction. It's as easy as that. So the example I gave, I'm having a really boring hour of prayer. Okay? I notice that my prayer is dry. God's nowhere to be found, I think. Um, it's a desolate hour of prayer. Well, the momentum of that is just to cut the time short, use my time in some more productive way. And so the suitable way of doing penance is I'm going to pray for the whole hour, which is my so I'm not making a change in my spiritual resolution. And then the substitute penance is I'm going to pray the whole hour plus a minute. Just to, <laughs> there, okay? It's a, a simple, grace-filled step in the opposite direction of the momentum of the desolation, okay? Um, in a more significant example, if I'm desolate around really feeling like I'm a burden and an inconvenience to people, how can I resist that? 
Well, I might make a conscious choice to go and ask somebody's help for something I need to accomplish that I know I'd have to ask help for. And in choosing to do that specifically, it's actually a very grace-filled way of resisting the momentum of the desolation. I'm going to go impose myself as more of a burden on people just to fight this lie that's fueling the desolation. Okay. And then, these are much more simple and direct. St. Ignatius encourages us to think about certain things. Okay? To choose to think these things. Number one. To choose to think about how it is that the grace of God is at work in this trial. Okay? God has left me to my natural po tr powers in this time of trial. But he always gives me the grace to preserve me from any spiritual harm or decline. Okay? I'm still in the thermal. I'm totally secure in the love of God, even though I don't feel it. I can't notice it. All right? And he's always giving me the grace I need to pray and meditate and much examination and some suitable way of doing penance. And if I will simply trust God, who I'm not seeing clearly at the moment, no harm will come to me. His grace is always sufficient to resist the desolation and the temptations that will follow on it. Okay? God knows what he's about. He's permitting this trial. He's got me in the palm of his hands, even though I don't know it. And he's allowing this trial only to make me stronger. Okay? So I want to think about that truth. Meditate on it. Okay? I also want to think that consolation will soon return. Right? I may have been desolate for the last five years and just come to notice it now. One of the first things I want to do, it's not going to take another ten years for consolation to return. As I start flying by the instruments, the veil is going to be lifted off and I'm going to start feeling the love of God. Again, <laughs> consolation will soon return. And we want to think on that repeatedly. And in doing so, we must labor to be impatient. As St. Ignatius says, this is contrary to the vexations which will come to the person in desolation, right? I don't want to scurry off and try to figure myself out and fix myself or distract myself or run away from it or, you know, turn to my ice cream as fake consolation. No. I want to, be, I want to take a deep breath, be assured that God has me in the palm of his hand, that his love is still active even though I can't feel it. Labor to be in patience, and then choose to think. Consolation's right around the corner. I'm immersed right now in the love of God. I just don't sense it. Okay. And to think the purpose for which God permits this trial. St. Ignatius proposes three principal purposes for which God would allow us to undergo these trials. And the first is because we are negligent in our spiritual practices. Again, that's not the swift kick because I'm not praying so God makes me desolate. No, it's if I'm becoming less fervent in my desire to grow, go from good to better in the love of God, God will permit this trial so I can notice the misery, I can notice the misery that results from even subtly pulling away from his love. This isn't a matter of sin, it's just... I'm becoming less receptive to his love. I'm less desirous of growing in relationship with him. And God will allow me to, to um, experience tangibly the desolation, the misery of that withdrawing before it ever leads to a matter of sin. And that's merciful, right? Because it will wake me up and uh, help me to recommit myself to pursuing God with all my heart, all my mind, all my strength. Okay? That's one reason, the purpose for which God permits the trial. A second is that I will always come to love the giver and not just his gifts. Okay? God, it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom and every good thing besides. Right? Jesus is constantly telling us to ask and to knock and to um, seek so that we can receive and it will be open to us and we can, receive, uh, we can find. But we don't trust that. So it's easy to settle for the good things of God and to miss the greater gift of God giving us himself. So in the, through the trial of spiritual desolation, God purifies our love so that we love him and not just the good things he does for us. So we don't become spoiled children, but authentic sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And finally, to 
convince myself that I may feel interiorly that it is not mine to obtain or keep the great devotion, the tears, the love of the spiritual consolation. So I will not be, my heart and mind will not be raised into some pride or vain glory. Okay? So, God permits the trial of desolation so I don't begin to think that consolation is my own making. Consolation is a gift. It's a spontaneous movement of my heart. I can't earn it. I can't manufacture it. I can't keep it. All I can do is choose to receive it as long as it's available. And that's, in fact, what I'm called to do. And this is very merciful, because if I start thinking I'm responsible through my good behavior for spiritual consolation, I will be tied up in knots during the inevitable experience of desolation, because I will blame myself for it. I will think it also is in my power, and that is a self-reinforcing trap of misery that we don't want any part of. Okay? So God allows this, the trial of desolation to convince us, deep down in our hearts, that I know consolation is not my doing, and therefore in desolation, I'm not the one at fault, but I can trust and turn to God and ask his help. And finally, to think that with God's grace, I can do all things and resist all my enemies. I want to express and make acts of trust and confidence in God's grace and what he can accomplish. Though I am powerless, God is all-powerful. And in my weakness, the strength of God is made perfect and all the rest. Okay? So, these are the specific means that St. Ignatius offers to us to resist desolation. This is one application of a broader spiritual habit, which is discernment. And discernment has these three elements. Becoming aware of the specifically spiritual thoughts, feelings, and desires of my heart. Number one, whether they're consoling or desolating. I have to first become aware that they're there. Secondly, to come to understand those movements. Is this from God leading me to God, or is this not of God leading me away from God? Is this spiritual consolation or spiritual desolation? And then to take the appropriate action, to receive what's from God and to resist by these means what is not of God. And I'll just tell you that each of those three dynamics of discernment really require the grace of God. I've been taught this and teaching this for years and years. And my awareness of the different movements of my heart at a spiritual level only grows slowly. You know, I can go easily through an afternoon without paying any attention, just absorbed in my work and what's going on, without paying any attention to the various movements of my heart. And to grow in discernment, which always leads to greater intimacy with God, greater holiness, greater union with the will of God, requires, first of all, a growing awareness of what's going on. And that's a gift of God that he wants and is eager to give to us. Similarly, this understanding, can I really recognize, oh, this is from God and leads me to God, or this is not of God and leads me away from God. That is a grace-filled understanding. It comes through the teaching of St. Ignatius and the other great saints of the mystical tradition of the church, but it's something that we have to appropriate more and more. And we become more and more accurate in identifying and understanding the specifically spiritual movements of our heart. And then to take action. So I can be a master of the first two. I'm aware of what's going on and I understand it. I get it. But am I really choosing to receive what's from God and to receive generously and not to pull away prematurely? And am I really committed to as soon as desolation shows its head, to not make a change, to pray, to meditate, much examination, some suitable way of doing penance, to choose to think in these ways? Do I do that? Do I use those tools in order to resist or not? And again, these are ongoing gifts that we need to receive more and more of so that God can more readily accomplish his purpose of stretching our heart to receive more of his love for us. Finally, I encourage you, essential reading there, this book by a guy named Father Timothy Gallagher, Discernment of Spirits in a Nation Guide for Everyday Living. And it is a beautiful, it's the best thing written for common consumption on the rules for discernment of spirits. And every Catholic, every Christian should have this book on their nightstand. Okay? It's, it's just that good. And I encourage you to pick it up. You can buy it in paperback for cheap 
on Amazon. It's like eight bucks or something. Um, and I have no royalties or kickbacks. Although I've sold a lot of Father Gallagher's books and I should probably get some <laughs> financial interest in this, but I don't have it yet. So, Okay, we'll take, I'll just close with a prayer and then we'll be happy to take your questions and comments. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And in light of what we've heard, I invite you to hear again St. Paul's encouragement in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. In consolation and desolation, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Have no anxiety at all. Labor to be in patience. The Lord is near, even though you do not sensibly perceive him. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, God, I'm desolate. Help. Make your requests known to God. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, thinking back on the goodness I've received from God before, the times I was consoled before. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Consolation will return. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is gracious, if there's any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Then the God of peace will be with you. Heavenly Father, we ask for the gift of your encouragement in the midst of the trial of spiritual desolation. Help us to recognize when we're in that experience, in that trial, and to learn how to use more effectively the gift of these tools for resisting desolation that come to us through the teaching of St. Ignatius. Above all, Father, help us to turn to you in confidence even when we feel that we are far from you, when we feel all lazy, tepid, and sad, and as if separated from you. Especially in those moments, give us the courage to cry out to you whom we do not recognize in that time, so as to receive the gift of your deliverance and to be returned to the joy of consolation, your love alive in our hearts. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Questions, comments, objections? Demands for your money back? Oh, we have a microphone here if... Uh, Yes. What about the question was, what about when people have depression? How do you know the difference? Very important. Um, first of all, they're not necessarily completely unrelated. As I was saying, non-spiritual reality, which uh, psychological or emotional depression would be, can easily be a jumping, a springboard for specifically spiritual desolation. So non-spiritual desolation, which when very deep and sort of entrenched, we would call depression, um, can be an easy springboard for spiritual desolation. But the rules apply to the spiritual desolation, okay? So it's not the case that someone who is in depression should be like, oh, well, if I do this prayer, meditation, much examination, some suitable way of doing penance, oh, my depression will lift. Well, that's not true. Now, a person who's depressed can be spiritually consoled, okay? And we want to take advantage of the means that address depression, right? whether that's through good counseling or medication or uh, lifestyle changes that can aid on a natural level um, people combating depressive thoughts and feelings, okay? You want to, that needs to, that's all necessary and good. And thank God that we're growing an understanding of how to address people who are struggling with the burden of depression. But it has to go hand in hand with these spiritual tools, hand in hand. 
because if it's true that this psychological experience is rooted in some significant woundedness in a person's life, the best counseling in the world can't heal that. The love of God can heal that. The best counseling in the world can give a person better and more effective decision and choice making, better choice making, help them make better choices. There we go. The best counseling in the world can help a person make better choices to give enough breathing space from the weight of depression to allow the underlying healing, spiritual healing, through the love of God to take place. All right? So it's never one or the other. It has to really go hand in hand. Um, so how do you tell the difference? Well, is the thought, feeling, or desire that the person becomes aware of, does it impact their relationship with God in carrying out their will? If it does, that is a specifically, that, that is a spirit. It's not just the depression. Does that answer the question? Good. Well, I'll be available uh, afterwards. Chris, I want to thank you for the invitation to come, and I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and have a great night. God bless you.